Okay, I take it you guys are ready. It was straight up while I go, and uh, <laughs> right down the middle, and it's a few minutes after six, and uh, we are late. We're late. I can't wait. Can't wait to get this started. What do you think? Okay. I am a poet tonight. Don't take me seriously. But the Word of God we'll take seriously. Communion with the Triune God. We continue with that series. How's your guys' communion with the Triune God? Well, tonight is dealing with the value that the saints are to Christ. We are of much value to Him. As a matter of fact, I just put the word, Christ values the saints infinitely. More than we can even imagine. So let's look at the Scriptures. Maybe it will heighten our view of how much Christ values us in our relationship. And it's much more than we can imagine. We have enough Scripture here to deal with that. And of course, we started with the Father and how He uh, communicates with us, and how He loves us, and then we have Christ and His grace. And uh, this is the, I guess the second week that we've dealt with uh, Christ's relationship with us, His communion. Uh, have it in two parts. It's about Christ's value of us, valuing us, and then part two is our valuing Him. We value Him highly. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here, would we? Why would we be here if we didn't value Him? That's really what it's about. It's about Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this evening. Thank You for Your truth. And uh, as we endeavor to get into some deep truths of Christ and His love for us, and it's infinite love. He treasures us. He values us. And we thank You so much for that. And may it be in our hearts to treasure Him more and more as we ponder on the Word of God. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, the first one is all that Christ ever did or ever does is for our sakes. He does things for our sakes. Of course, He does it for the Father's sake, the sake of the Father. But what are the plans of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit for that matter? Uh, definitely all that He ever has done. He, for us, is, as we think of it, He was a mediator. He is a mediator. He suffered as a mediator. And it was for our sakes. Now, great things there that we deal with. And how can you express how He values us? How can we express this as much as we possibly can? All we know is that we go into His Word, let Him speak. And of course, it starts off with the the sense of He was made flesh. He was fully God. He didn't have to come in the flesh. He didn't have to lower Himself. He was fully God. He has always been fully God, but then He also became man. You look at Hebrews, in chapter 2, verse 14, He values us so much that He had to come as man. It's the only way that our sins could be taken care of, isn't it? He mediated it. So it's Hebrews 2, 14, all in that area. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise also partook of the same, 
that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So he had to come in the flesh just like us and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. That's for us. That's how much he valued us. He came in the flesh. He left the heavenlies and he came here. And so at the height of this valuation here as he values us, as we look at it, he just makes it bigger and bigger as he goes through this stretch of passage here. In verse 16, Verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, which the seed is us, his believers. Abraham believed God's counted him as righteousness. Descendants of Abraham extend all to the ones who are believers in Christ. And so he didn't take the nature of angels, which angels are above us right now, right? One day, they will be below us and we will rule angels. Imagine that. I can't imagine it. But they are far above us. Spirit beings they are. But he didn't take that route. And he could have saved angels, couldn't he have? That wasn't in his plan. There were fallen angels, right? A third of them fell. But he comes after man to be like man, and so he took on the nature of man, not angels. Um, and so that's rather staggering right there because he, you know, he's talked about angels in Hebrews already in uh, the second chapter. Even the sun was made a little lower than angels in that section starting in verse 5. That's amazing. Of course, they ministered to him, but at the same time, taking on being man, he is less than what the angels are in their stature. So he values man above all other creation, even the angels. Even though right now we're a little lower. That's plainly expressed here. That's rather incredible. So and observe there that he came to help not the angels but who Abraham his descendants his seed the believers he esteemed them valued them of course John 1:14 the word became flesh and dwelt among us of course what are we dealing here we're dealing with Christ becoming man right 1 Timothy 3:16 that is a um, Really, it was kind of like a either an early church song or some kind of a saying that was put in Timothy, as some people believe. A lot of times when you see them, both sections set apart. And paragraphs... 
sometimes it's an early church hymn. It starts off with, uh, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. And the first line is, he who was revealed in the flesh. Seen in the flesh. It's vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. That's a confession of faith, isn't it? A real short one. But it's it's a summary. Mystery of godliness there, though. But he who was revealed in the flesh. So we're thinking here, okay, here's God coming in flesh. This is an emptying. It's kind of eclipsing his glory. All the glory that he had. He he prayed in John 17 that he would get his glory that he once had, that he would get that back. Of course, he knew he would, but he prays what he knows what the Father's will is, doesn't he? That's why it's good to pray scriptures because you know, okay, when you're praying that, you know you're praying what is right. You can't go wrong there. So, uh, anyway, you know, he had to give up, in a sense, that glory that he had. He had to become poor for our sakes. This is how much he valued himself, valued us in him, that he emptied himself, became poor. Look at Philippians 2 8. If you guys don't mind, uh, if, if some of you turn there and you beat me, uh, go ahead and start reading. Nobody starts reading, then I will. There's a lot of passages tonight. 2 8. Can you get it there, Bob? And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and death on the cross. That's a main passage in the New Testament, isn't it? That's the humbling of it. That's the epitome of humility. Um, taking on flesh, being a man, and being obedient all the way to death. He emptied himself. Second Corinthians eight nine. That was a classic passage. So is this. I just mentioned something about this just a few moments ago. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake. For your sake, our sakes, He became poor so that you through His poverty might become rich so that we would get the inheritance. He became poor. He became in the flesh like this and then suffered and died and all that He went through. Uh, John 17.5, I think that's the one I was just talking about relating the glory that Jesus once had and that He prays that He would be restored to that glory. Now, Father, glorify Me together with Yourself with the glory which I had with You before the world was. That's His intercessory prayer. It's a great prayer that He said before His crucifixion, the night before that. And there he prays that he would be restored to his glory. He gave that up. He laid that down. He set it aside. Just like the Philippians to a, a humbling of himself. That is valuing us highly, isn't it? Uh, he became a servant. I think when we were in the Philippians 2 passage, Philippians 2.8 and in that area. 
most well-known passages in the New Testament dealing with the humbling of Christ. He he was a servant in verse 7, but he emptied himself, this is the kenosis, taking the form of a bond servant or a slave and being made in the likeness of men. So, he became a slave for us. That's valuing us highly. (laughs) And when he became a slave, what he had to do was fulfill all righteousness. Every act that he did was perfect. Every act was good. Everything was pure. No sin mixed in whatsoever. Matthew 3.15 John the Baptist you have the baptism scene and of course John the Baptist is wondering why it was him that was going to be baptizing Jesus. And as humble as John the Baptist was Jesus said that it must be done in verse 14 of Matthew 3 John tried to prevent him saying I have need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. John the Baptist says, Okay, all righteousness. This was something that was to be done. And so he did that. So his, he was that servant. Uh, he went through the persecutions. He went through hardships living in this world. Just everyday living was hard. Growing up as a kid was, was hard. They, they weren't rich. Of course, it was uh, hardships just to, just to live. We know that he... Um, Obedient and everything. Obedient to death. We read that in Hebrews 2. This is the heart of the Gospel here. Galatians 3. When you talk about Him valuing us, it necessitates that we really talk about the cross. The heart of the Gospel is death. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So he valued us so highly that he became a curse. Literally a curse. Hard to imagine. Second Corinthians five twenty one. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He did the righteous acts and it's His work on the cross that takes away our sin. He takes the sin so that we then can have His righteousness. Great exchange. That's that verse right there. tells it all, doesn't it? so that we would become the righteousness of God. 
That's valueless. Psalm 22.1. Ah, uh, do you know what that one is? Anybody beat me yet? <laughs> my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. So he not only became cursed, he became separated from God the Father at that time. That's how much he valued us. I mean, he went to the nth degree, as far as he could possibly go to pay for our sins. Cry of anguish there that we see. That Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm. It's really about Christ at the cross. Matthew 26.39 And he went a little bit beyond them while he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Fell on his face and prayed saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as You will. So he took the curse. He took the cup very wrath of God was poured out on him and the presence of the Father was he was separated from. So his aim in all of this, coming to earth, taking the form of a man, he was born, he lived so that he would die. He valued us above his life. So His life was taken for us. Curse of the law, the wrath of God, the loss of God's presence. It was a fearful cup that He took, wasn't it? And He didn't, in His humanness, He didn't want to even taste of that cup. But He tasted it and took it and took it all so that we wouldn't take any of it. Drink it to the dregs. So He... And so we got it in the outline. Christ parted with all He had for our sakes. Gave His life. Ephesians 5. Somebody got to beat me. Beat me there. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. He gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her, set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. He might present himself to the church in all our glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's how he can do all that because that's his whole goal, that's his whole aim, to get us where we'll be holy and blameless without sin. And that will finally happen. That's what he's working to. Of course, when he comes back, that's what it is. But he, he parted with all that he had for us. Valuing the saints infinitely. Hmm. So that's Christ was made flesh. Second one, be there. All the world is nothing to Christ when he compares it to the saints. Now, God so loved the world. Of course, God created the world. And he saw that it was good. But there's nothing in the world that can compare to the saints. 
not even the angels. We are at the top of the line. All the world is nothing to Him compared to that. Uh, We're like His garden, in a way. The rest of the world is like a wilderness. So the whole reason that He deals with the church, the reason that He deals with the saints, is because He loves them. Why does He love them? I don't have an answer for that. He just decided He wanted to love us with His perfect love. The church is precious in Christ's sight. The church is honorable in His sight. No matter what we look like sometimes, no matter how weak we are as individuals, no matter how weak we are as a church, a whole body of Christ, little local bodies of Christ, no matter how small and insignificant they are, He has great esteem for His church. Sometimes we may not look like we're doing anything. Don't let anybody ever tell you that we're a joke or we are, we're just playing our game or doing our Sunday game. The fact of the matter is, is we belong to Christ. The church belongs to Him. No matter how many spots and wrinkles we have right now, Holy Spirit's working that out, isn't He? And, you know, he, he, everything that He does is for the good of believers. You know, He can take up nations and He can bring them down. It's all for, ultimately, in the Lord's plan, but it's all for our good. Everything that He's doing. And, of course, you know, the eye of God was always on the house of Israel. The eye of God is on His believing remnant all the way through. And so Christ is at the, uh, the focus of all that. When you think of uh, what the the angels do for us, how many times it, it happened again this week? How many times I should have been either run into somebody because they they pulled out in front of me, and I go, "There's no way that I could have stopped." And somehow something happened that we didn't collide, and that was really good of God to do that. I mean. He, doesn't have to do that. You know, there are other things that happen in our lives that are not so good, but you know, and that's happened more than I can count, really. I mean, things like that. And sometimes I have to realize that he probably used his angels. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm reading into I don't see the angels. You're usually not going to see them. They're spirit beings. God could make them manifest if he wanted. He did in the Old Testament did in the New Testament, but that's not usually the way that he works. That's right. <coughs> Amy Grant, we got his angels watching over you. <laughs> we could start singing that one, couldn't we? Angels watching over you. And, and she brings up the thing about the car. Is that one in there? Yep. It's been a long time. Yeah. That makes you think. Because it says in Hebrews 1, verse 14, we have to back that up. Now, in chapter 1, he's comparing Christ to the angels. 
in Hebrews, it's like Jesus is better than dot 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 dot. In Hebrews one, he's better than angels. And the Hebrew people, they put angels up pretty high, you know. And I think we do too. But he's higher than all the angels. And he uses verse uh, thirteen. But to which of the angels has he ever said, "Sit at my right hand"? until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? You guys like that? That's how much He values us. So, He could have taken us out of here, or we could have taken ourselves out of here a long time ago. Some of the crazy things that we, we do, you know. But he has these ministering spirits and they render service. It's all part of the providential plan. God could stop something from happening, but he uses angels to do a lot of things. Who knows how much? How much does he value us? These creatures and he uses them. Matter of fact, in a word, John Owen said this, there is not the most average or the weakest or the poorest believer on the earth, but Christ prizes him more than all the world besides. So you could take the weakest possible Christian, if that be possible. We're all weak anyway, right? But but take them, take take somebody that nobody, you know, cares for or even knows that exists the poorest and weakest, and yet Christ prizes him more than anything of the whole world that He created. Isaiah 43, 3 and 4. You remember, you know, when we were in the book of Romans back a few years ago, and Monday night Bible studies in the, in the, in the store, and we were in the first three chapters of Romans it seemed like forever. You guys remember that? It was like the wrath of God almost every week. Everybody said, we're getting beat up. Well, I'm making up for it. <laughs> and of course, even when we were in... Um, what was the, the last book study that we did? Um, um, what was it? Yeah, Second Thessalonians, the Antichrist in chapter three. <laughs> week after week, we dealt with uh, some pretty heavy scriptures dealing with the judgment of God, and so here we are, and we're reading these truths. God is a very balanced God, isn't He? Sometimes it may seem like I'm on a, on an area for a long time, and we can be, but we believe those other truths too. You know, just that, just wait, we'll get there. It might be months or years. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place, since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other place other people in exchange for your life. What's he dealing with there? 
Of course, God by nature is a Savior. Of course, Christ is the Savior Himself. Um, you think of um, there, there's God, you know, sparing Israel and giving them great things. They were created uh, for His glory. And no matter what kind of judgment happens, Israel will be redeemed. And of course, that represents also all of God's people. Believers down through the ages are redeemed people, aren't they? Like the promise. So what's Christ's part on the mutual affection? I think we've probably already seen them. Um, I think we were... Uh, did we look at Galatians 2.20? Some of these verses are repeat verses from other areas that we're looking at. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. We sing those words. Yes. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Isn't that great? We sing a lot of scripture. Sure do. That's really what it's about, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Every time you, if, when you can think biblically, think, hey, we do that. You know, it, no matter what you see, you can kind of revert it back to God's truth. Even some evil things that are going on, you can relate it to, to sin. How God, but how He. Triumphs over it. So, so many different ways to look at it. John thirteen thirty four. Everybody knows this verse. Uh, by the way, this is a song too. You might have sang it as a little kid in Sunday school, if you went to Sunday school. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is my commandment, that you love one another, that your joy may be full. <laughs> Remember that one? I think our, this Bible study used to sing that 30 years ago. Did he do that? Really? I like Keith Green. Well, we're going back. Well, that's probably we're why we were singing it. <laughs> On Monday night. Probably so. That's probably where we got it. <laughs> Revelation 1, 5 and 6. And what you have here, you're going to have, of course, in chapter 1, is a vision of the Son of Man. But just before that, he reminds us of And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, when he resurrected, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, I mean, how much higher can he go? To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. This is Revelation 1. I forgot about that being there. Well, it's the summation of the Gospel. But there it is, verse 6. And he has made us to be a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> Boy, is that praise? Oh, you could sing that. We're kingdom priests. That means we're kings and priests. We're priests representing Him. We're the go-between. 
medium, but we're also a kingdom. We're kings. Royalty. Peter talked about that. He made us to be kingdom priests to His God and Father. To Him be the glory and the name forever and ever. So, Christ's part on this affection. Of course, Ephesians 5, we read that. Uh, Hebrews 10. Now, that's, that's a pretty judging chapter. But let's see what it has in there in verse 9 and 10. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second covenant. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You only offer up the body of Jesus Christ once. That was at the cross. You don't do it anymore. As the what Roman Catholic Church do every day. It's all over the world it's happening 24 hours a day. Somewhere right now, part of the world, they're offering up sacrifice Christ. But Christ did it once for all. Not to be done again. We're sanctified. We're set apart through that. Not only justified, but sanctified. Sanctified. He set us apart. Made us be holy. So he values his saints. He values them from eternity past. And because of that, he brings them to God the Father. He rejoices in doing that. And even in the thoughts of finally offering them up to the Father without any spots. And so his design that he's always had will come about to perfection. That's why he values us so much. Because it's his work. By the way, he will not lose them. Why is it that the smallest percentage of the body of Christ today believes in eternal salvation. If you go by denominations anyway, there are a few that believe that. There are many who do not believe in eternal salvation. That blows the whole plan and purpose of God, His whole value of them, and it shows you how much of an Arminian view first, uh, spoke of the Roman Catholic Church, but let's go mainline denominations. You can name them. How about Methodists? Lutherans? That's that's a pretty big percentage right there, isn't it? We could go on and on. And of course, if you go into the Pentecostal realm, they all believe that you can lose your salvation. Um, Nazarenes? The ones that I've known. Now, there's probably some, but most of the time whenever I've ran into Pentecostals, well, there's so are many of them. Lutheran? Oh yeah, Lutheran. Yeah, you can lose your salvation. Oh yes, they do. Yes. 
you can lose your salvation. Now, Luther didn't teach that. But I have cornered them on that because they have a major problem. They do believe in election. And, of course, they have a baptism of the of infants. And so you say, okay, well then they are members of the church, then they are the elect ones. And they have a little problem, and they have a problem of how to answer that. Uh, and of course they'll say, well, it's a mystery. And I know there are truths that are... All, everything is going to eventually be a mystery. We can only understand so much. But what the problem is presenting here is that you can say, okay, then though everyone that comes in the Lutheran church and are baptized, then they are going to be saved forever. And they say, no, we're not saying that. But at the same time, they are in... And they're different than what the Presbyterians would believe on baptism. Lutherans take it like the Roman Catholic Church does. And so it's almost like having to keep yourself in it, but yet they preach a no-work salvation. And let that be known. I'm not saying that they don't because um, that was the heart of Luther's preaching, justified by faith. But there are going to be some people who are in the church, been baptized, that were considered church, Christians, that will that will leave, that will turn away from God, uh, that will not get salvation. But they never had it in the first place. That's really what I, you know, I have to come down to and say, well, they never really had it. And if you get them down to that point, I, I think you might be able to get uh, an answer out of that. But I said, are, are the elect then, the very elect of God, do they lose their salvation? And they have to say no, because if they're elect before the foundation of the world. But they leave it with mystery because they know that people will lose it. And of course, through the New Testament, it looks like that, but it's speaking about people who never really had salvation anyway. And who are we to be able to judge everybody and say, well, that person lost his salvation? We don't know that. Matter of fact, we may not even know that they even had salvation. But, I mean, that's, that's a mainline denomination, and I don't think, I never saw Luther teach that, though. That's the thing. So does it differ from synod to synod, maybe? No. No. Lutherans are, are would not take a stance as we would uh, where you persevere. Okay. Uh, whenever you think of the um, what what we would take as, you know, we, of course we, we can take the, the tulip, for instance, you know, perseverance of the saints. We can go all through down through that. Uh, Lutherans would believe in total depravity, no doubt. Um, they would believe in an unconditional election. God elects. They, they still believe because that was Luther's strong point. He argued that. Um, but limited atonement, no. Irresistible grace, no. Perseverance of the saints, no. It surprised me too. I was very disheartened whenever I started understanding what their beliefs were. And after I knew what Luther had said, and I'm going, this is contradictory to Luther. 
But anyway, um, I, I, the reason I make that point is that it's automatic to us. Uh, Calvinists believe in eternal security. You cannot be a Calvinist without that thought. Because if God elected us for the foundation of the world, He's going to keep us all the way through. That's how much He values us. If, we, if He allows us to lose it, then His precious treasure, He just lost. He couldn't keep them. And it, it, it's very telling on he was he didn't keep us very good. So John seventeen eleven, we'll just take a few of these verses here. Here's how much he values us. That's so surprising, you know. I, you can count them. Uh, Baptists, of course, believe in that uh, in eternal security. Um, now the Nazarenes are people also that would believe you lose salvation. Um, Presbyterians, of course, um, Congregationalist, anybody who was part of the um, the Great Awakening uh, here in America. You think of Jonathan Edwards Church; that was a Congregational church. Um, there's really that much of the Congregationalist left. Um, of course, I can think of today modern E Free Church would believe uh, eternal security. Um, Church of Christ would believe that you'd lose salvation. Christian church, you lose salvation. Any Reformed. Any Reformed is going to believe that. Yep. You know, I think part of our trouble comes in, even for us Presbyterians, <laughs> um, is after we believe we have come to the saving knowledge of Christ, we can see how low we can go to. And that's that's terrible. I think a lot of people have. It's like I know I've I've committed worse sins in my eyes anyway, worse sins after coming to know Christ than I did before. It's this terrible. It's terrible. And yeah, and that's what causes us, I think, to wonder if we were ever saved. I'm I'm getting past that. I'm almost sixty years old. It's about twenty years old. Yeah, you realize how low we can go. No, my sins are worse. But I, I understand what you're saying too. But I, I came to know Christ personally, you might say, as a 16-year-old. That was four years ago. Well, I became one 10 years ago, and I've missed a lot since then. Well, you know what the Puritans always said? I wouldn't even want to. Well, the Puritans say the longer you're a Christian, the more aware and the more that you're knowledgeable of your sins than ever before. So the more that you <laughs> age in Christ, the more that you'll be aware. We're talking, you know, it can be big sins, little sins, whatever, but, it, but there were, the Puritans were talking about, you know, the, the thoughts, the thinking patterns, and those kind of things that were not consistent, you know, and... You know they weren't killjoys. They they enjoyed life, but uh, I think that, it, that it, would we not say that that's true? That the more that we learn sure. the holiness of God, the more As we see Christian, our sin. As a good Christian, you don't know all this stuff. No. You don't even know. I mean, I, you know you're I a sinner. I didn't know some of the stuff I was doing was a sin. And How then I'm reading, and I'm thinking, whoa, <laughs> now I'm in trouble. Yeah. yeah. 
He keeps yeah. bringing the Spirit to us to convict us of our sin. And that's that's normal. That, but that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Not alone. What's the John 17.11 say? I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. They're going to be here for a while, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in Your name, the name which You have given Me, that they may be one even as we are. United as one. Perfect unity. There He's speaking about the disciples, but you read this whole chapter and you see that it's all believers. All on three. John 14.28 because it's consistent with other Scripture. John 14.28 You've heard that I said to you, I go away and I'll come to you. If you love Me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father for the Father is greater than I. Now I've told you before it happens so that when it happens you may believe. John John 10. John 10.29 My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That's, that's, that's the promise. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Not Satan. Not other people. Not even ourselves. And Romans 8 says the same thing. The Father who gave them to the Son. So, what's that? Right. Right. Yeah, there you go again. How would he uh, let the bride go, right? should be astonished. The patience that He has is infinite with us. The forbearance that He has. His love is infinite. His grace is infinite. His mercy is infinite. How much value does He have for us? And then the last part, number two, believers also value Christ. Look at Psalm 73.25. You guys probably will think of another verse too. It's a lot like it. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. What is it, Bob? Where in the New Testament do you see something like that? Where would we go? Right? Where else would we go? Where else would we believe in? Believers value Jesus Christ. We esteem Him above all things in the world. We really do. Sometimes there are things that kind of get in the way, but for His we do. David said, Whom have I in heaven but you? Neither heaven nor earth will compare anything in heaven or earth. Anything compared to Him. We value Him above all other things and persons. Think of, uh, you know, when Moses in Hebrews 11, you have the, the hall of faith. Hebrews 11:26. Moses considered the reproach of Christ 
greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You know, when you think of the passing pleasures of sin in verse 25, but he considered the reproach of Christ greater than all the treasures of Egypt was like at the top of the world at that time. The great empire. They had it all. Treasures of Egypt. The greatest in the world. Moses despised the very best of the world for the worst of the cross of Christ, right? Yeah. Yeah, how he saw Christ. Of course, we get to look back, but there, as as the writer says, and of course, you know, how much did he see? And of course, Abraham saw. You know, when you think of Abraham, he saw Christ long before he was ever here. And they all the Old Testament is looking to the Messiah. Of course, more and more is revealed by the time you get to the prophets. But Moses, like being first of the prophets, right? in 1500 B.C. There He is. He has a really good picture though of the Messiah. How much is... It already started in Genesis. And of course... Uh, I guess I just wondered yeah, at that time. That was even before He really started serving the Lord. And, but yet the Lord revealed things to him, you know, and, and he knew he knew Hebrew scriptures and he knew the Hebrew God. So and that's where everything always went to. It went to the Messiah. He is at the point of it all. Moses is the one that's later going to establish the law and the tabernacle that makes it even more simpler to understand the Messiah with the pictures of it. But he didn't even have that at the time. He didn't even have the law. He writes the law later as God gives it to him in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. So, but yeah, he under, he already understood the Messiah and the reproach of Christ. Yeah. There must be some stuff that he didn't really tell us about. So how did he know all that? Well, and he's a prophet. Yeah. God gave him a lot of insight. Uh, and of course, he saw God's glory. But that was that even afterwards. But to make that choice, Egypt right. and Christ or Messiah, yeah, that's kind of perplexing. Um, would we value him above everything, even our own lives? You know, Paul did that. Acts twenty twenty four. Let life and all go, so that I may serve him. And when it's all is done, enjoy Him and be made like to Him. Paul had it down, didn't he? <laughs> Look at all the things that he suffered through. There was Ignatius who uh, is reported as he was led to martyrdom. Let what will come upon me only so I may obtain Jesus Christ. People, or Christians were whipped and scourged and put to the shame for His sake. Think of Hebrews 11 and the Hall of Faith there. But um, our, our lives would be a burden if we didn't have Him and know that have the knowledge, the they thoughts of enjoying. Anyway. What's that? They kind of are anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a 
only thing we really have is the hope. That's right. Uh, Philippians 3, 7 through 8, all Paul told his whole spiritual life, you know, when he was in Judaism and all the things he accomplished. Pharisee of Pharisees, from the tribe of Benjamin. And it was all what? Rubbish. It was trash. It's nothing. Matthew 13, 45 and 46. Everybody's familiar with that one. It's an obvious one. I like this one. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. A guy sees Christ. His eyes are open spiritually. He goes for it all. Well, that's, that was our salvation. When we saw Christ, we said, that's it. That's life. We gave up everything. Forget yourself. Take up the cross. Follow Me. It's no longer you. He already values you. You don't have to value yourself. You can give it up to Him. And of course, that's what Matthew 10.37 is about. Everybody knows Matthew 10, right? Many of us identify with this. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anything that can be of the most highest value to us, and yet it still can't stand in the way of Christ. We're not worthy of Christ if anything stands. Even mother or father, brother or sister, even our relatives, sons, daughters, whatever. Nothing. Nothing can stand in the way of Christ. That's pretty radical. But that's what we as believers do. Sometimes we feel like we might fail in that. But we, uh, we have our part in mutual affection too. And we rejoice. We enjoy Him, don't we? We're willing to part with those things. You'll notice they're like one at a time. As years go by, and we realize those things that were so important before really are not so valuable anymore because He is our value. He is our treasure. He is everything. Let's pray. Father, thank You for valuing us and treasuring us and giving us the desire to treasure You. In Your Son's name, Amen.